What's up, faith family? Hey, it's good to see you. If you got a Bible, go to Luke chapter 6. <clears throat> Luke chapter 6, that's going to be our text this morning. We are continuing kind of a short series that we're doing called Movement. And uh, basically what we're trying to say in this series is that uh, a gospel movement begins with move me. A gospel movement begins with move me. That the prayer for us here at Berean really is that he must become greater and I must become less. That, that's what this is all about. And um, we want to make sure that the main thing is the main thing, right? Um, the way I would say it, particularly for those of you who may be visiting with us and you're just kind of hearing a little bit about what we are all about here at Breen is this. We hold tight in one hand to Jesus, to the gospel, and we hold loosely to the other things in the other hand. Uh, they may be important things, they may be things we're convicted about, but we want to make sure that the ultimate focus of our church is dead center on Jesus Christ and the good news about Him. Amen? Now that's painful. It's painful to say He must become greater and I must become less. And we're going to address that again this morning as we look here at Luke chapter 6. So if you're able to stand, please do so as we honor the reading of God's Word. Luke chapter 6, and let's look here beginning at verse 1. It says, On a Sabbath while he was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some of the heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. But some of the Pharisees said, Why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? Jesus answered them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of presence, which was not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those with him. And he said to them, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. And then on another Sabbath, he entered a synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was withered, and the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath. Why? so that they might find a reason to accuse him. But he knew their thoughts, and he said to the man with the withered hand, Come and stand here. And he rose and stood there. And Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it? And after looking around at them all, he said to him, Stretch out your hand. And he did so. And his hand was restored, but they were filled with fury and disgust with one another what they might do to Jesus. This is God's word. Would you bow with me uh, for a moment of prayer? Father, we uh, just ask this morning that you would speak to us, um, that you would move us, that the gospel would be the most important thing in this faith family. And Lord, I know just even as we'll see in this text, that means so many things for what I make important. And Jesus, I just this morning want to make you important. The ultimate thing in our lives and in the life of this faith family. Help us be a part of a gospel movement. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. As you can see, I have provided everything a child might need. All right. Uh, okay. As I will say... Hey! Oh! Somebody broke that. Okay. Okay. Clearly, we need to set some rules. Rule number one. You 
will not touch anything. Uh-huh. What about the floor? Yes, you may touch the floor. What about the air? Yes, you may touch the air. What about this? Ah! Where did you get that? Found it. Okay, rule number two, you will not bother me while I'm working. Rule number three, you will not cry, or whine, or laugh, or giggle, or sneeze, or burp, or fart. So, no, no, no annoying sounds, right? Does this count as annoying? Very. I will see you in six hours. Now that hits really close to home for some of you, doesn't it? Listen, what comes to your mind when you think about rules? I bet some of you respond negatively when somebody mentions rules. Maybe you came from a very strict home like that one that had all kinds of rules, all kinds of things you couldn't do. Maybe you were the one in school that always got in trouble for breaking the rules. Some of you, your resistance to Christianity was, it's just a bunch of rules. But your, your default position tends to be that rules are intended to be broken. But others of you would be a little bit more receptive or positive towards rules. Rules are like a Snuggie. They keep you warm on a cold Minnesota day. They provide structure for your life. I mean, you play by the rules, you expect everybody to play by the rules. You put something together, you follow the instruction manual exactly. You open up a board game, you don't just start playing. No, you have to read every single rule. There, there are some of you, like, you wouldn't even think about breaking the speed limit. All right, I lost you on that one. I, okay, I had you. You had me until speed limit, right? But for you, it's like, I like rules. Rules are a good thing. They are meant to be kept. But how's a Christian supposed to think about rules? I mean, after all, the Bible clearly gives us rules. We, we call it the law, commandments. Uh, there's, there's a way in which the Bible has called us to live and not to live. That's true, isn't it? And it's not just an Old Testament thing. It's a New Testament thing. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. So we know this. God is good. God's rules are good and for our good. But what happens when God's rules aren't good enough. And we need to add our own. What you get when that happens, hear me Berean, is a man-made religion and nothing is a greater hindrance to a gospel movement than a man-made religion. You tracking with me? Nothing is a greater hindrance to a gospel movement than man-made religion, and that's exactly what Luke shows us here in this passage of Luke chapter 6. He, he tells us two stories uh, about an encounter with Jesus and the Pharisees. Now, you need to remember the Pharisees are the good guys. They are God's biggest fans. 
I mean, they've got the foam finger. They've got the face paint. They're season ticket holders. I mean, listen, they're at the temple every time the curtain is open. They pray prayers. They sing songs. They defend God amongst the pagans. But it's interesting when God shows up in the flesh, they oppose him. And it's so subtle. It's so non-threatening. It's with the best intentions, mind you. It's just, you know, we'll just add a few rules to God's rules. Verse 1. On a Sabbath, while he's going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. But some of the Pharisees said, here's the question, why are you doing what is not lawful? Why are you breaking the rules to do on the Sabbath? Now, here's the other example in verse 6. It's a different Sabbath. Jesus enters the synagogue and he's teaching, and a man is there whose right hand has been withered. Verse 7, the scribes and Pharisees are watching him. They want to see if he's going to heal this man. Why? So that they will find a reason to accuse him. So Luke gives us these two events that happen on two different Sabbaths, and the Pharisees are irate. Jesus is, after all, already eating with sinners. By the end of chapter 5, he's not keeping their fasting traditions. And don't you know that's just how we do it here? And then by the time we get to chapter 6, he has broken the mother rule of them all, the Sabbath. What was that rule? You see, God gave a rule in the Old Testament. It's the fourth commandment of the Ten Commandments. You are to remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. That is to set it aside. God gave His people a gift. You know what that gift is? You need rest. You need to maintain a proper balance of work and rest that is rooted in the created order. God created six days. He rested on the seventh. God wants to give that gift to his people so he makes a good rule for their good that they have a day or a period of time to rest. Sounds great, doesn't it? The problem is it wasn't good enough for the Pharisees. They built a wall of tradition around that rule to make it better, to be a little bit more specific, things like this. You could not look in the mirror on the Sabbath. Why? You might be tempted to pluck gray hairs, and that's work. You couldn't take bread to a neighbor, but you could throw the bread through your window into their window. That's, that's like the ancient Near East version of fast food, right? Right there. You could throw something up with one hand, but you couldn't catch it with that hand. If you threw it up with your right hand, you had to catch it with your left hand. This is work. That's not. Somebody just needs to slap them in Jesus' name, all right? I mean, that's crazy. Here's another rule. You couldn't take a bath on the Sabbath, which raises the question, how do you have a Sabbath without a bath? That's, that's a terrible joke. 
don't laugh. It only encourages me. You couldn't walk more than 1,999 paces. They probably did that in Luke 6, but they don't mention that one. Here's the two they mentioned. Number one, you could not eat grain, or you could eat grain, but you couldn't separate the grain from the chaff. And that's what the disciples do in the first example. They rub it in their hands and they separate it. Eh, You broke a rule. Here's the other one. You could not help somebody who was hurt on the Sabbath. Now, that's what Jesus does in the second example when he heals the man's hand. Now, it is interesting that they made adjustments to that rule later. The adjustment was you could help somebody if it was an emergency situation like life or death, or if a woman's like water broke and she's starting to deliver a baby on the Sabbath, she could go ahead and have the baby. <laughs> I'm not making that up. Isn't that real sensitive? I'm sorry, sweetheart, you're just going to have to wait. You just take that up with Yahweh because this baby's coming now, all right? I mean, that's just, that's, this Sabbath's your problem, buddy, right? But you couldn't just help somebody if it wasn't an emergency situation, and that's what Jesus did. So I say all that to say this. When, verse 2, the Pharisees say, you're doing that which is unlawful, You need to know that Jesus and the disciples are not breaking God's law. They are breaking man-made rules. But now, this is what legalism does. Now, I've been so encouraged last night in the services already this morning because I've had multiple people come to me who God has rescued out of legalistic backgrounds. And I hope that He'll do that now in this service. Legalism does this. It raises to the level of biblical necessity something God never commanded. It raises to the level of biblical necessity something God never commanded. Or it takes things, you must hear my heart this morning, it takes things that are not clearly taught in the Word of God, like some of our preferences, some of our traditions, and it imposes them on others as a way of making ourselves feel superior. It adds rules so that we feel better. In other words, see, God gave a law. He gave rules to show us how short we are. We look at God's law and we're like, really? I'm that short? Like, I'm that messed up? I've broken that many rules? Yeah, you need help. But help has come. His name is Jesus. But what we do, and it's what the Pharisees did, is instead of looking at God's rules, and they're good, and they're good because they point out that we're not good and need Jesus, what we start doing is we just start adding rules. We start adding rules that we can do, and why do we add the rules that we can do so we can show everybody else, look how tall I am. We're like little Jack Horner sitting in the corner eating his Christmas pie. He put in his thumb and pulled out a plum to say what? What a good boy am I. This is what legalism does. This is what the Pharisees are doing here in Luke chapter 6. And Jesus is going to address it. But before we see what He addresses in them, we need to see how this exists in us. Because I'm telling you, we're like the Pharisees more than we think. And because I love getting in trouble, I'll give you some examples. 
like single-issue Christians. That is, people who are really passionate about a particular issue that's typically secondary or sometimes a third category. It may be a political issue. It, it may be the poor. It may be the persecuted. It may be endangered kittens living south of the river. And all God's people said, aww. But the point is, you think if people were half the Christian you are, they'd have the same level of passion you do about your issue. Or preferences, personal preferences, like Bible translations, as though Jesus spoke English. Or music style preferences. I had a guy, not here at this church, but I had a guy tell me one time, literally, and I'm not anti-Southern gospel, but he came up to me and he said, Southern gospel is from God. Christian rock is from the world. Literally, he said that. And so I drop kicked him for Jesus through the goalpost of life. <laughs> That's crazy. To say that something is or is not of God because of a style or holiday traditions, what we may or may not feel convicted about letting our family or children be involved in, school choice of, of homeschool, public school, private school, or we take rules and we apply them wrongly. The Bible says don't love money. That's true. But then we may make rules that aren't biblical about lifestyles. Or the Bible says don't fornicate. That's true. And then we make rules that are like anti-dancing, or the Bible says keep the Sabbath, and we make a rule about you can't work on Sunday. Growing up in the South, the, that rule, the way that was always applied was you were never allowed to mow your grass on Sunday. Now, that's not an issue here in the North because we don't have grass. <laughs> we have snow all year long, right? <laughs> But that was the thing. It was, it was like, that's the one thing you couldn't do on Sundays. You couldn't mow the grass because that's work. And I always got to thinking, if, if you're not able to work on Sunday, what am I doing? You think I'm on vacation up here? That's crazy. But that's what we do. We take rules that are God, of God and for our good, and we add to them. Or every church has them. They're called sacred cows. They're programs and events and things that they did 10 years ago that worked really well then, that may or, not, may or may not be working now, but that's just the way we do things here. And to that I say, sacred cows make the best hamburger. All right, no. What's the point? The point is, if you have traditions, that's fine. If you've got convictions, that's great. If you have passion about something, I love that passion. But when our rules aren't God's rules, but we expect everybody else to play by our rules, that's sin. Or what's even worse is when our rules are not God's rules and we use our rules to look down our spiritual noses on others. That's legalism. Legalism is a gospel of personal goodness. It's the good news of how good you are. Legalism is a gospel of self-absorption. I do this, I don't do that. But here's the problem, Berean. Here's the problem with legalism. Nobody thinks they're a legalist. 
everybody who will come through here this weekend and say, I'm glad that didn't apply to me. It's because nobody sets out to be a legalist. It's like going to Denny's. Nobody sets out to go to Denny's. Like nobody's ever left their house with, I've got a good thought, let's eat at Denny's. No, you just, you just end up there. You don't even know how. You get there through a series of unfortunate events. And then after you eat at Denny's, it's followed by a series of unfortunate events. But it wasn't your plan. You didn't intend to end up there. And no Christian has ever intended to end up a legalist. It's so non-threatening. It's so subtle. It's just a little bit of extra rule here, a little bit of extra tradition here. And before you know it, you've lost your focus on the main thing. And as if that wasn't bad enough, it actually started hindering the ministry of God. Verse 3. Jesus answered them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. Jesus says, okay, come right here. You know your Old Testament, Pharisee. Let me take you back to 1 Samuel chapter 21. David is the anointed king of God. Saul hates his guts. He wants him dead. So he's chasing him. David is running for his life. He's hiding. He's on the run, which is where many of the Psalms are written from. Out of a troubled time in David's life. He hasn't eaten for days. And he comes to a city called Nob where he meets a priest. He is starving. He is hungry. He asks for food. And all the priest has is some temple showbread. But there's a problem. Only the priest are allowed to eat it. So what would you do? There's a hungry man right in front of you, but the rule says he can't have this bread. All right, Pharisees, what happened? You know what happened. The priest gave him the bread, and God did not judge him for it. Gotcha. In other words, if you could break one of God's ceremonial laws, not a moral law. We're not talking about moral, moral law. But if you could break one of God's ceremonial laws, how much more your ridiculous man-made laws that you've made, Pharisees? Don't you see? You don't ever put rules over relationships. You don't ever put your tradition above the ministry God has called you to. Unless you want to be a part of a me movement. But if you want to be a part of a gospel movement, your traditions are always secondary to the main thing, which is Christ and His work. That's what Jesus teaches in the first rebuke. Look at the second one, and I love this. Look at verse 8. I love Jesus for so many ways, and one is because He just picks fights. And I mean good fight, not like, you know, immature fights in the backyard. I mean when what matters is on the line. 
he publicly rebukes the Pharisees here. Look at verse 8. He knew their thoughts, and he said to the man with the withered hand, come and stand here. So I want you to get this imagery in your mind. Are you with me? He's in the synagogue. He's teaching. Here's a man with a withered hand. The Pharisees are watching closely, and Jesus knows it. And so Jesus says, hey, 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 come here. Right here, front and center. And then notice what he does. He looks at the Pharisees, verse 9. Jesus said to them, i got a question for you. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or destroy it? And after looking around at them all, I love it. Jesus is like eyeball to eyeball with all of them. You're going to see this, and you're going to like it. (laughs) And what does he do? He heals the man's hand. Now, that says something very important. You know why? Because Jesus could have easily said, hey, come here. here. I don't really want to cause a scene, so put your hand in your pocket. Just put your hand in your pocket. Don't say anything, but when you get home, you are in for a big surprise. (laughs) Wink, wink. Now, go on. Jesus could have done that. That's not what he did. Why? Because he is going to publicly rebuke any kingdom that stands against his. He is going to put the Pharisees in their rightful place, which is to expose their lack of love. They are rules not relationships. You see, the point of these two examples that Luke puts back to back is this. Love for people and the ministry of God is always a greater priority than individual preference or tradition. That'll preach right there. Love for people and the ministry of God is always a greater priority than preference or tradition. When somebody's hungry, you feed them. When somebody needs help, you help them. Why? The gospel compels us, Berean, to put relationships ahead of rules because that's what Jesus came to provide, namely a relationship with God. Here is the gospel. Here's the gospel. Here's the gospel. (laughs) Rules because of Jesus won't keep you from having access to a relationship with Jesus. That's awesome for a rule breaker like me. Because when we acknowledge what the law was intended to do, what the rules were intended to do, and that is expose the fact that I am a lawbreaker, but Jesus says, those rules won't keep you from God because I came to fulfill all those rules for you, so all you have to do is put your faith in me. That's the gospel. That's the gospel, and that's great news if you're here this morning and you've messed up a lot in your life. It's also good good news if your pride has made you think you haven't messed up in life. But then here's the light bulb moment for me as I thought about, yeah, of course, relationships over rules because that's the gospel. Jesus came to provide a relationship, not a religion. But then here was my question, and I need all brains tracking this line of thought. Here's what I wrote. If at the core of the gospel is, I can't keep God's rules, 
then why in the world would I make my own rules central to ministry? That's anti-gospel. When I say my way of doing things is more important than the gospel's way of doing things, I'm anti-gospel. Why? Because my belief in the gospel says I can't even keep the rules, but yet I turn around and try to make up the rules. That was like, for me. And, and, and here's, here's why I think that happens, at least in my life. I hope you're still in tune. It's this. Pride turns rule breakers into rule makers. And it may take you 20 years of being a Christian to go from, I remember what it was like to be in a lawbreaker, but somewhere along the path, I decided to make it up as I went. Spiritual pride will take people who shouldn't even be in the kingdom of God, but they're there because of His grace, and pride makes them self-appointed leaders. It's accidental Phariseeism. Larry Osborne says it this way, because I love that phrase. Accidental Pharisees are people like you and me who, despite our best intentions and desire to honor God, unwittingly end up pursuing an overzealous model of faith that sabotages the work of the Lord we think we're serving. The problem is not our spiritual zeal. That's a good thing. The problem is a zeal for the Lord that fails to line up with the totality of Scripture. So here's the point, friends. Look right here. When our traditions or our preferences or our rules hinder gospel ministry, what is the response? Move me. Move me. It doesn't mean like, oh, now i got to go to a different church, or now they're not going to talk to me, or now they're going to make mean faces at me when I walk down the hall. No, it just means if I really want him to become greater, then I'm willing to become less. Now, I want to show you where this ends. It's crazy. It's totally crazy. we got two verses left and 45 minutes. Um, <laughs> I wish. This is so, God help us, God help us. The flow of the text is they set out, likely with the best of intentions, just to add some rules. I mean, they just want to honor God. But in the process, they end up hindering the work of God. But then it gets even worse. Verse 11. They were filled with fury. They're mad. And discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. Now, what do they want to do to Jesus? What do they want to do to Jesus? Luke is a little bit vague here. So let's let Matthew help clarify what they want to do. Same account of the same story, Matthew chapter 12, verses 13 and 14. Here it is. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out and it was restored, healthy like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. Translation, they want to kill him. Hmm. I'm no Old Testament scholar, but I think I've read somewhere something that goes like this. Thou shalt not kill. 
Oh yeah, that's one of the rules God actually gave. Do you see, dear friend, what's just happened? They set out with the best of intentions just to add a few of their own rules, but before they knew it, it actually hindered the ministry of God, and it got even worse. Why? Because it became their God. Their functional God isn't the true and living God. They don't even care about His law anymore. They're consumed in the God of their own making. Don't you see? Where God actually was clear, like thou shalt not kill, they don't even care as long as they can protect the God of their own making. I gotta sit down for that one because that's the church of America needs a wake up call. Because it may very well be, it may very well be, you have to discern your own heart with the Spirit of God. It may very well be that if you can't worship God, if the style of music is your favorite style, it may not be God you're worshiping, it may be you. If you can only relate to people who have the same opinions that you do, particularly on lesser matters, it may not be that you have unity in Jesus. It may be that your unity is in your likeness. If you judge other people based on convictions that are not grounded in God's Word, please don't think you're honoring God. Please know that you've replaced Him. And I can't think of a more terrifying thing to wake up one day standing before the one true living God only to discover that what I've been doing this whole time is worshiping a reflection of myself that I just happened to call Jesus. And I am driving a stake in the ground as lead pastor of this church that I am going to point us over and over to what it's all about, or should I say, who it's all about, and that's Jesus Christ and being found in Him. I don't want you to have anything artificial. I want you to have the real thing. I don't want you to settle for religious games. I want you to live in a real person. A relationship with Jesus Christ. Because that's what a gospel movement's all about. And it means you got to get out of the way. Before this thing that we've made with human hands is something God doesn't want to dwell in. The Apostle Paul says in Colossians 2, 16-17, Therefore let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or new moon or a Sabbath. These are but a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. In other words, look right here, Brian, the most terrifying thing is that you set out to honor God, but you miss Him. Because look at verse 5. This, this is, we're, we're bringing it down. Here it is, right here. you got to get this. This is huge. And he said to them, 
Jesus says to the Pharisees, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. What? Pharisees, you've gotten so caught up in the Sabbath rules that you have missed the one the Sabbath was pointing you to. The rule God gave in the Old Testament wasn't just a rule about a physical thing. It was a rule about a spiritual thing. Like what? Like your body doesn't just need physical rest. That's a good thing, but that's not the ultimate thing. What your soul needs is spiritual rest by getting off your treadmill of good works and finding rest for your soul. And that Sabbath is about a person named Jesus Christ. Don't you see the point wasn't the rule. The point is who the rule was pointing to and you missed him. And that's why I plead with you, please, please, please come here. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, you don't know Jesus. First of all, if you think, well, I'm not a legalist because I'm not even a Christian. What? I guarantee you if I ask you about your life, you tell me the things you do and the things that you don't do and why that makes you not as bad as other people. See, you have your own rules too. And if you run on that very long, you get spiritually wore out because you can't do it. Would you please repent of your sin and look to Jesus Christ and find Sabbath rest? Real rest. Not a day off. Not a vacation an eternity of realizing that it's not about what you do, it's about what He has done for you, so rest. Others of you in here, you are a believer, but I don't know, last 20 years, 5 years, 6 months, you've lost that true love. It's become a a religious routine. It's become a going through the motions. And I'm trying to wake you up with the gospel this morning to say, repent of any of the man-made things in your life and, and renew that love and that passion for Jesus Christ this morning. I, I plead with all of you, please, look past whatever man-made rules you have in your life, and see a man who wants you to have a relationship with him. Then you can find rest. But in order to be a part of that gospel movement, you're going to have to say this morning, move me. Let's pray. Father, convict us this morning. Convict me. Oh, wow. I I know um, that without your Spirit, I can't discern this in my life. We just can't. So, um, Holy Spirit, come and reveal to us those things that are off. I I think the prayer is, I I don't want to be like the Pharisees where... I miss the most important thing, the most important one. I'm so caught up in religiosity that I, I miss the whole point of this, which is Jesus. And so would, would you just let us worship Him now and love Him and grow in Him and maybe for some in the room be saved, rescued by Him in His name. Amen.
Let's stand.